to Stop Booking Around. I'm John Cronshaw. And I'm Russell Evans. Last week, you talked about the idea of doing an episode about prophecy and prescience. A good way to start would be just to kind of fix some definitions. When I think of prophecy, I think of vague futuristic predictions that come from some kind of insight or inspiration from some kind of religious prophet, you know, hence the word prophet. And then I think of prescience as being able to have foresight about the future, actually being able to see the future. Prescience is more definite. I think prophecy is more vague and Mm. more open to interpretation. Yeah. And I think the thing that underlines both of them is something that was very well crystallized in uh, Shock and Horror, the the Dune books. (laughs) Um, And it's something that Leto Atreides II says, which is that once you know the future, you are trapped by it you'll never be able to escape it. And I think that what you have, the difference there between prophecy and prescience is in prescience, you don't have a choice. You know. it's Whether it's been forced on you or it's a burden because of just your natural state of being. But then there's prophecy. And prophecy is a fun one because prophecy is, in a way, faith-based. And so when people believe really hard in something, they essentially still trap themselves in that future, in that potential future. And I think that, oh God, I think I spoke about this just kind of jokingly months and months ago when we were first starting this endeavor, which is in Star Wars episode one, two, and three are possibly the greatest argument against prophecy. Because Qui-Gon Jinn is like, oh yeah, no, I I got told that someone's going to bring balance to the force and it's this kid. Yeah, this kid's going to do it because I think so. Got no other, I've got no other real solid facts. I've just met this kid who's pretty special, and I reckon it's him. And then skip forward to, like, all of the Jedi dead. And it's yeah. the idea that he forces that on people. Those films could be a lot more interesting if it was essentially viewing Qui-Gon as a rogue Jedi that's a bit crazy, and he's like, right, okay, calm down, mate. Like, are you sure about this? Because he literally goes against everybody to try and make sure that his version of this prophecy comes to fruition. And like even to the point of his dying wish is like to Obi-Wan is like, now you're gonna have to look after this kid now. In a way, if it wasn't done so badly, that could be really interesting as as a story can see, is that okay, we've got a prophecy and it needs to come true. Yeah. So I mean I, when I think of prophecy done right, I think of something like the Matrix. Yes. And what I like about The Matrix is Keanu Reeves is the one, right? Mm. But then if we're looking at the Save the Cat structure, like he's all his lost moment is when he realizes, okay, that's not me. I'm not the one. Mm-hmm. And it's almost because he's not falling into this prophecy that frees him. And then all of a sudden he gets amazing Keanu Reeves powers. He's the one. He's the individual. And when he finally asserts his individuality and like makes his own choice... That's the the beauty of that bit of writing. That's like, yes, self-actualization. Yes, it's that's what makes you what you are, and that's what gives you the ability. I love prophecies that are essentially bullshit and trials that actually turn the main character into what they need to be, just not in the way that was imagined. I think I'm just thinking of like a really bad example of prophecy, and I'm now preparing for my Twitter to be bombarded. But Harry Potter, the yeah. prophecy in that 
when, when I used to do journalism, we had this thing that was called jigsaw identification. It was usually in relation to identifying people who'd been victims of sex crimes because obviously you're not allowed to identify them in the press. You know, you could give a couple of details. You could say, you know, a woman from this part of town was raped or something like that. And that would be the extent of it. You couldn't say a woman who went to this school, you know, and give so many little details that it can't be anyone else or it mm. narrows it down to about three people or something. Yeah, like you with the, everything but their name. Yeah, with the Harry Potter prophecy, it's almost like, what was it? It's like the child of someone who betrayed three times in the The mark of the enemy or something like that. Yeah, it's like there's some born on the seventh month. It's like, well, it's got to be this kid. Yeah, Yeah, it's (laughs) the idea of like, oh, so your protagonist is the protagonist then. Yeah, yeah. And I'm comparing that to something like, going back to Game of Thrones, the um, Azor Ahai prophecy in A Game of Thrones, where Melisandre is convinced that Azor Ahai reborn the, yeah, is Stannis yeah. Baratheon mm-hmm. and with all these markers because like that's more of a vague prophecy I mean that's got stuff about I'm just trying to think back to the books like there's something about the comet like the comet that comes at the start of book two is you know that is a sign that oh yeah the something like the red star weeping or yes. you know it's, it's like literally that vague and it comes in salt and fire and dragons you reborn room for interpretation the, don't you there's a lot of interpretation and Melisandre is so convinced by Stannis Baratheon, that she gives him these powers. And it says that this guy is going to have a sword called Lightbringer. So she gives him a sword and calls it Lightbringer. Yeah. And there's all these little things where it's like she's really forcing this prophecy. And she's it, a Qui-Gon Jinn, goddammit. Yeah. And, it, like, that's when it's done well. And it's really interesting. Prophecy is good, especially when it doesn't come to fruition or if it does come to fruition in an interesting way. And I'm going to use an example of a book that I know you've probably never heard of or read. And this is by a mate of mine called T.S. Brothers. And it's called Dorothy and the Cane of Destiny. And it's about an elderly woman living in an old folks' home who, when she was a child, was told that she was a chosen one, that she had magical powers, and it never came to be. But then it does when she's in her 70s. <laughs> so it's yeah subversion of prophecy i think is far yeah. more interesting than the prophecy itself and when you get people who believe so hard that they they try and make it happen it's very similar to time travel and paradoxes i really like paradoxes in yeah. stories that it's going to happen and it will find a way to happen no matter what you do in the sec- the fact that like it begin- makes that's the beauty of a paradox is that it it was always going to happen and always does happen i think i mentioned last week i was thinking of like you know back to the future where doc brown says okay your children in 2015 need your help but then i was thinking actually that's because of all the paradoxes and because of how complicated the timeline gets in back to the future too it's not actually prescience it's something else because the timeline isn't certain and that mm. he just witnessed one possibility. Well, it's where um, we start getting into things like multiverse theory, isn't it? Where it's like, are things fixed or do they create separate timelines? It does go into it, doesn't it? Because he then goes back to an alternate 1980... Is 1984 is the original time? 85, I think. 85, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he, goes, he goes forward and then he comes back and there's an alternate 84, 85 even... This is where writing time travel gets all (laughs) screwy, isn't it? Because they can just do as they please, and as long as it's good, you don't care. Have you ever read a story by Robert Heinlein called All You Zombies? No. Okay, this is great. It's a time travel one, 
mm. where the guy is sat in a bar and is visited by this guy. And it ends up that all the people he talks to in this bar are himself from in different future iterations. Okay. But because of the way it works, he's his own daughter, his own father, his own mother. It's like there's all these different things. And because of the time travel, he, he makes it so he's his own parents. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's just the wackiest story. And it, <laughs> it ends with a great line of like, uh, okay, I know who I am, but who are all you zombies, you know? Yeah. But they're all the same person and have all done things like gone through sex changes to create the situation where he's his own mother, father, daughter, blah, blah. It's Spoiler, like, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's like one of my favorite paradoxes is um, Fry in Future Armor because <laughs> he's his own grandfather. Like, it's the idea of the paradox is that that would have always existed because he would have always been his own grandfather. That doesn't just happen. It's this, this thing of that time is, um, it's a line with loops in it. If, you know, if and when time travel becomes possible, then paradoxes are inevitable. But then it's also the, the logical argument against time travel is that if it existed, we would have already seen its results. But then, of course, you got the argument, well, of course we have. We've already seen the results. <laughs> yes. No, it's, um, that's the wonderful thing about paradoxes. They're like, they're like little Zen koans that um, you're like, what? Oh, oh, okay. What? Oh, I see. I think it's just me and my enjoyment of those sort of moments of the struggle against what is essentially a fixed point. It kind of gives time a sort of personality of itself, in and of itself, that it's like, no, certain things will always happen. And they're always going to happen. And you trying to avoid them is actually what makes them happen. So again, it's this idea that once you know the future, you are trapped by it because you know that that's going to happen. And whatever you do, your actions make that happen. Again, going back to June, what I love about that is that most people struggle against their fate and often make it worse instead of making it maybe the most benign version of it. But in June, Leto knows what's going to happen, and he accepts his fate and acts for the greater good of everybody else, unbeknownst to everybody else, because they still see him as this, as this worm space tyrant, that which also plays into my, my joy of benevolent dictators and bad guys who actually turn out to be the good guys, but they just decided to not go for the popularity vote. Ah, it's just one of my most favourite things in, in fiction and uh, storytelling, and it can be done very badly as well. Like, like <laughs> you pointed out, like it can just be almost just like signposts that are just like, oh right, okay, so this is going to happen. I mean, like one of my favourite things you say about Harry Potter is that there's a great fan theory where the Child of Prophecy could have been Neville Longbottom because I don't know whether J.K. Rowling kind of put it there as a red herring. Neville's life is very much an analogue to Harry's life, except that he just doesn't get given the attention of being the protagonist. His parents are taken away from him by Voldemort. Like, I don't know, I'm not a massive fan of the book, so I can't (laughs) sit here and tell you everything beat by beat that happens to Neville. But when I read that, I was like, yeah, you know what? That's a a really fun uh, coincidence. And, And if she'd maybe played on that a bit more... It yeah, it's actually been a lot more interesting. I suppose it's a, it's about the reader expectations. I mean, you know, we did the episode about knowing your reader, knowing your audience, and maybe having that would have been not necessarily the best idea for the audience. You know, mm. maybe the audience all along is rooting for Harry and wants it to be Harry, and having Neville as a thing would have been, you know, it is a bit of a sophisticated thing, but it might have just been seen as a bit of a swerve rather than a something that's built up to in a 
satisfying way and is actually going to be disappointing for the readers when they're like oh we've been following harry or we've been following neville you know <laughs> yeah so i could see that as a okay for more of a sophisticated reader that'd be a good idea but i think for the younger reader maybe okay harry maybe is the hero yeah. yeah i think the theme of prophecy and prescience especially prescience does bring on the you know the debate about free will and determinism and i think there is a deep fear within us and this is why maybe you're drawn to these stories is there is deep fear in our psyches that we have no control that we are determined there's a lot of things in our life that that we have no power over and these are almost kind of wish fulfillment things of okay this is the explanation Mm. why things are so bad or why things happen in the way they do it's because okay i've got no control over my life and almost the fight against that is, again, fighting against human. this determined thing. Yeah, it, I think it is just part of our our natures in a way. What do you think of the prescience in something like Terminator? Sarah Connor knows what's going to happen because someone has told her. Yeah. She almost tries everything she can to stop the inevitable. But whatever she does, it, it's not that she's stopping it it's almost like time finds another way but. well it's this idea i mentioned a bit earlier of the as time as a character or as a, yeah. as a uh almost like an entity with its own will it's like no this is going to happen and you can't you can't stop that and a lot of stories do that as well they say like you know the time travel stories uh say you no know, like certain events cannot be changed you know you get these things of um it's a star trek voyager episode where there is Michael Ironside, great actor. He is a captain on a ship, and that ship has the ability to travel through time. And his wife is killed in a war. And that's it. it's called the Year of Hell. And Voyager gets trapped in this bubble, essentially, of him repeatedly changing things. They start to figure it out, and they become immune to it but only within the ship and everything else around them changes constantly because of what he's doing, because he's trying his hardest, trying to, he'll be like, I'm going to destroy this planet or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And Voyager is constantly buffeted by the effects of what he's doing. And it's having a more and more negative effect on them because they literally spend a year going through this and it's this thing where eventually the resolution is him realizing that he can't change it it's just something that's never going to be changed now but how many variables or you know he can't either go far enough back or he can or he's never going to have the ability to find the exact variable he needs to change to avoid the death of his wife and he eventually has to just accept that and when he does it actually has the best outcome possible. But part of that is that he doesn't get to be around to experience it. Um, And that's one of my favorite stories about like certain things are fixed points and no matter what you do. And again, it's this thing, it's this, it's sometimes having to accept that we are not in control of our, of our fate, that no matter how much we learn to exert control over it, we're not gods, we're not omniscient and we don't have the ability to, as humans 
conceive of what we need to be able to conceive of in order to change things on such a scale in in regards to say time and such and i think it, it ends up being a more human story and one of the best voyager stories because actually in the end it's about him just giving up and accepting that and when he does it and un- and essentially undoes everything he's done with this sort of ability to change time it actually does create the best, most positive timeline. He just doesn't get to be there to experience it, which makes it like a great human tragedy. So I don't know if you've ever read a short story by Yoon Ha Lee called Flower, Needle, Mercy Chain. No. It's on Lightspeed Magazine. It's actually on their website. It's about how time travels, how time travels forward, but Mm -hmm. causality actually travels backwards. And this leads to the invention of possibly the coolest weapon ever, which is if you shoot someone with it, it wipes out their ancestors and everything their ancestors has ever done. You basically erase someone from history <laughs> and the entire universe kind of changes because of it. But yeah. because causality runs backwards, it doesn't... I don't know, it's really strange. It's, yeah, it's like it's really clever, really well done. That is really, yeah, I really like that idea. There's something very similar to it in... Um, there's a, a comic book series of it's like an event it was in the dc universe it was called final crisis and that is kicked off by the death of one of the new gods now the new gods are i won't go into too much depth but in a sense they're kind of like gods in the sense that they are living ideas in a way um that's part of their existence is part of what powers them and i'm probably butchering that concept people will probably go oh well actually yeah exactly yeah (laughs) Um, so this god gets killed at the beginning of the book and the way he gets killed is very much similar to what you're talking about there is is with a causality bullet and what it does is the only way you can kill an idea is by going backwards and forwards in time and removing all trace of it from existence I love that idea when I first um, read it in in Final Crisis, and I'll probably have a look at that. Is it as is it a short story or yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's not long at all. Yeah, it's on the Lightspeed Magazine website by Yoon Ha Lee. So Y O N H A L E E. It's called something like Flower Needle Mercy Chain or mm. <laughs> something in that ballpark. Probably different word order. So it's about these four weapons anyway that have got that name, like Needle, Flower, Mercy, Chain. Ah, okay. Have you ever read First 15 Lives of Harry August? By no. North? No. Okay, this book is really interesting. So the Harry August, when he dies, he's reborn and lives the same life again, but he's got knowledge of the life he lived before. And by the time he gets to like his fourth life, I think he realises that, okay, there are other people who've got the same condition. Mm. And so he lives his lives different ways because he's essentially having knowledge of, okay, I got killed in the Second World War at this point, so I'm not going to go to that regiment. <laughs> so he he keeps kind of being born in the same place, same mother, and then he gradually becomes aware of his previous lives and knows what's coming, so he can change it. But then as soon as he changes, obviously he's living a different life, but with the memories of the old lives. And it's just really interesting yeah, actually, that's a great idea. Like He's still got these old experience overlaid on top of what he's doing. It's, 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 kind of, it's Groundhog Day, <laughs> which is obviously a very short-form version of that. And uh, also, 
a lot of people might have consumed it in different forms, but um, the film Edge of Tomorrow, which, yeah, is, which yeah. is also based on a, a manga called All You Need Is Kill. Um, <laughs> it's this idea of if you can redo it, like what would you do differently? And But instead of it just being like there's going to be a perfect solution, it's like, no, you have to build up enough. Like I like the idea of like the... Well, in Groundhog Day, the premise is that once he learns essentially how to be it's more about learning to connect with other people. Someone did a calculation because in one of the scenes he's playing the piano and somebody said like, well, they say that you need to put X amount of hours into something to become a master at it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it's the idea that, okay, so he's had to have put a thousand hours, shall we say, into being that good at the piano, which means how many days then has he spent? How many times has he gone to sleep or died in that day? rewoken up and just practiced the piano and it's little things like that it's like well actually maybe he's been trapped in this day for thousands of days hundreds of days who knows but ultimately it's actually just about him learning to connect with other people it's not about him impressing other people or living the most perfect day it's just about his connection with other humans and that's a nice sort of subversion of that yeah, idea yeah. i think as long as it's used in an interesting way or in a way that isn't just yeah, as we say, this is the protagonist. But then again, <laughs> I'm saying that, and Harry Potter, you know, I, I can criticise it all I want, but, you know, I'm not the one who's sold yes, <laughs> J.K. Rowling numbers. So it's obviously resonated with far more people than any book ever written, really. So Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's the ways you could sit there and put your little glasses on and go, oh, well, mm, mm, well, I don't agree with this and that. It's like, as a whole, it's still phenomenal. It still evokes a lot from people. And I read the books and there were definitely parts in the books that really got me, really got me going. And I didn't feel the need to sit there and sort of scrutinize them or be critical of them because maybe they weren't the most perfect literature I'd ever consumed. Like they, they've got heart and they've got character, which I feel can go a lot more towards defining a great book or good characters than just being sort of technically... Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Spot on. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's a story that wins out over stuff on a sentence level. Character and their experience and your ability to empathise with them as a reader is really the crux of the matter. And I think that's something that I'm going to have to remember because, again, having written so many D&D campaigns, <laughs> you don't need to do that. Your players do that for you. So yeah, I'm going to have to really focus on like, are my characters like can you empathize with them be them good or bad like can you can you understand them and do they resonate with people i mean we should save it for another episode but i would actually like to just because of my feelings on the magic system in harry potter i would actually like to for us to do an episode about magic and magic systems and things like that well we can do that next week if you like well we'll see we'll see i'd, I'd, <laughs> like, to, I'd like to have a catch up with you at some point about how you outline and second draft going. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll do that. Slowly as ever. <laughs> Hopefully it's getting there. So remember, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JL Cronshaw. I'm on Instagram, John Cronshaw author. Have you joined the Stop Booking Around Facebook group yet? Please do. And remember, there's a Stop Booking Around book and T-shirt. Now there's no T-shirt, but there should be. Get some mugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the usual. Yeah, yeah the uh, RPG. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, Russ, Russ has leveled up. He's, uh, you know, achieved his 
first trash I'm a, status. I'm a level two bard now. Exactly. So until next time, cheerio. Bye.